Hey guys, thanks for taking the drive down State Street. In today's episode, we discuss part two of extreme ownership, the laws of combat. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to State Street. Hey guys, this is Nick Kleitch, the co-host, The Voice, and with me, as always, are my good buddies, Jeremy Machino and Cole Szynski. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Nick, it's it's good to get back in the recording studio. You know, we had a we've had a good good solid week of a great guest, Maddie, and we had a, a very good episode we pushed out last week on the um, first part of extreme ownership. So I'm I'm excited to dive back into extreme ownership for part two or part three, actually. Now, yeah, it's exciting. We uh, I feel like I say yeah every time we come on air. So I don't know, it's <laughs> it's weird, and I I try to change it up. I think of ways to do it, but I it just kind of spills out. No. At any rate, um, I am extremely excited about extreme ownership. I am extremely excited about the, the past few guests we've had on because they're doing very well. Um, I, really quick, I just want to say, like, we seriously thank, we can't thank the people that come on this podcast enough. We can't thank the people that listen to us enough because before coming on air, like, Jeremy and Nick and I, we all talk about these things and we talk about how crazy it is that even people, the people even listen to us or they care enough for uh, all these things. So I just want to take this little second in the introduction to say thank you to everyone that has made this like whole thing um, go along because um, we, we couldn't be happier with, with the things that, that we're getting to do and, and uh, all the messages we're getting to push out to people. It's really, really exciting. Well, it's been highly entertaining, just some of the people that we've become to know and, and meet through the State Street experience and, you know, where otherwise we wouldn't have ever known that they existed. And I think that's such a compliment to uh, the hard work that we've put in, of course, but also the uh, open-mindedness of our guests to come on the show, because I'm sure it is a, a little bit of a fun risk for them too. But uh, yes, we're going to dive into the, let's see here, it's the second part of the the series or no excuse me the third part of the series but the second part of the book of extreme ownership if i have that nailed right. down correctly we've uh, <laughs> we've kind of mentioned that in bits and pieces and it's we're not sure if we're right on that but a lot of really good content that we're going to be talking about so we're going to go ahead and dive right in um actually I, I apologize let me back up let me just get a shout out to uh, Mr. Machino actually had a birthday recently. Uh, the young man is now becoming a, a man. And uh, Jeremy, uh, thank you for all the things that you've you've done for this podcast, and and we highly appreciate it. Um, and you're what, 24? Yeah, I uh, you know just turned the the ripe old age of 24, if you could say right. But you know, it's a uh, doesn't feel much different than 23. I got to tell you, I think after about 21, it kind of all the birthdays kind of just feel the same at that point. Maybe 30 will feel different little different maybe 40 but you know that's still a long ways off for me i'm not gonna i don't want to think about getting that old right now well at 24 you have the whole world figured out that's for sure yeah i'm sure i do <laughs> oh that's awesome man well i figured i had to do that on air so um thank you very awesome. much nick so we're gonna be covering a couple different chapters here on this book this book has been a very very pleasant surprise to us um and so the very first portion here what we're going to talk about is called the concept of cover and move. And these are our, our laws of combat that Jocko has found with, it's it leaf, right? Is that how you pronounce it? Leaf or leaf. I, I can't remember the exact, but it, it's one of those two for sure. I know that. Um, and they're talking about uh, just some of the things that they have implemented in how they operate their military operations. And we have taken a ton. I have personally from some of these principles. So we'll go ahead and get into cover and move. And, and what cover and move is, is really all about teamwork. 
and being able to rely on other people to get the overall task done. And so when we were reading about this, Cole, obviously military, you have to have this at the highest level degree. Otherwise, if there's an error, someone you know might lose their life, which you know they're, they're on the front lines or on the gridiron. When you were reading this chapter, if there was anything that stood out to you, what exactly was that? I think it was the concept of teamwork, simply because cover and move, what it meant for, and, and I, I want to say again how great this book is written, because it's so cool how they give perspective from, or, or they pull examples from actual Navy SEAL like operations or the way they work, the way they operate in Ramadi or in their training or, or, how, or whatever story they, they pull. Uh, and then they talk about the principle. So what the meat of it, and that's what I really like to take away is like, what are we really supposed to be getting from this? And they lay it out straight, like straight up for you. And then they have an application to business section where it's like, okay, how can we apply this to your life, to someone who is in the workforce's life? That's maybe not have the experience of being a U.S. Navy SEAL, but you want to apply these same concepts to your business and you want to, you want to maybe become more regimented or in this case, impl- or implement the, the tactic of cover and move. So to answer your question, I think teamwork is huge. And I think the ability to rely on one another in kind of a time of stress is really the example that they talk about is when this tactic cover and move is used as a Navy SEAL is when you're essentially under fire, you're under enemy attack, and you are trying to leave the situation or maybe even move toward um, the, the enemy, you have one person lay cover fire, that's cover, and then you or the rest of the team or whoever other people, however many other people are on um, that squad, I guess, they're moving essentially into the next position, right? And so it's kind of like playing the game leapfrog where one person is laying down that cover fire and everybody else is moving up and then they do the same for, for the person that was um, left back. And so I, I think that is, is kind of the, the relying on your, your teammates um, or in our case, relying on your coworkers, relying on your family, relying on your friends, whoever you want to apply this law of combat to in your own personal life. I think that's kind of, that was kind of the underlying theme for me. Yeah. And I think a, a important piece to go along with that is in, in this case specifically, they have to, they have no other option to, whereas in business, we, uh, you know, we have the assumed choice that we do or have to work with this person, or maybe we want to switch jobs, et cetera, but they are forced to. And I think there is some merit that you can pull from being forced to rely on someone because when you're forced to, you're going to find a way to make that work. And though it is a simple principle from a military application, I think the, again, the, the meat and potatoes pulled from that is we can't accomplish any goal or any vision or any dream without the help of other people. Other people are always involved in that process. I couldn't just create a podcast by myself. If I tried to, it probably wouldn't work out. That's why I brought on you guys. So the reliance <laughs> and the teamwork, and I should have laughed at that because me trying to, to add an episode would be a whole other topic <laughs> of conversation, but um, just the being able to rely on other people. And I think that's really cool because when you really get the right people involved, it does take time, but I think it, things start to click. And we experienced that a little bit. I would say probably at episode 20, we, things started to click and we were able to get an ebb and flow. And as the, the military example, when you're trying to get from A, a to B and, a, and a, an enemy is firing at you, you have to use some kind of strategy to do it. You can't just walk out in the open. You'll probably get shot. But being able to rely on, rely on those people 
uh, and to go at that with a teamwork is it's also really rewarding. I would say, wouldn't you agree with that? I would. Yeah. There's ac- so there's actually a, uh, there's a, there's a quote that, that I'd highlighted, um, that I wanted to get out and it kind of, it kind of has to do with what we're talking about right now, Nick, but it says, and this is Jocko talking about, um, actually some guidance that he got. It says, we utilize the principle of cover and move on every operation, all teams working together in support of one another. That realization, the lesson learned, implemented no doubt saved lives, greatly reduced casualties, and enabled us to more effectively accomplish our mission and win. So that's exactly what we're talking about. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the message we're trying to get across. And I think that, um, I think when you, when you can realize that, and it's essentially, it's, it's a team of people, and whether you're at work, whether you work for you work for yourself, whether you're a Navy SEAL, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a college student, whatever. There's a common goal that people are trying to achieve. And if you can work towards that together, the more people you have in your corner, the more people you have covering your flank, as that's kind of what's what is, is alluded to in the book, um, the more success you're gonna have and the more the more you're gonna win, the more you're gonna succeed, and the more happiness you're gonna find, the more you're you're gonna be able to celebrate all of those people and, and all of these accomplishments. Well, it's just so much more fun to have other people around that want to accomplish the same goal as you, right? You you push each other to the point where you're like, all right, I I just it's just easier to to get over that hump with someone else. Like have someone else there with you and you know, like you can go like a good analogy is like going out and starting your own business. Like you're only going to get so far just by yourself. You're always going to have to bring in outside sources, outside resources, outside people, whatever. And, you know, they're always going to have different, you know, opinions, but it's still, you're still working towards the common goal. And the, and the common goal is, you know, what, what is going to make you successful? And, and once you get there, like celebrating by yourself, isn't all that fun. Like, yeah, cool. You can sit back and maybe pop a, a bottle of champagne, but celebrating with more people and like sharing success is so much more fun than just being successful by yourself. Yeah. And, uh, I'm not going to go too far with the sports analogy just because we have so many other good things to touch on, but that championship feeling when you know, all the, the blood, the sweat, the tears that you had put in with your teammates and you win is such a richer feeling than maybe an individual goal. Um, even though you can kind of control more on your own, but the, the collective good is what really makes it hit home. Uh, and that's why we you know, tune into sports and watch those. But that ties very nicely into our next chapter here, um, Jeremy, and that is the, the principle of simple. And again, as we parlay this into military grade, they're talking about their communication and their planning. And so when you're in the line of fire, I've never been, I can only imagine that you need to make things as concise and effective and efficient as humanly possible as you're trying to maneuver against an enemy. And so as that is importance in the military uh, world or realm, I think this really goes into business too. How often do we think that we're communicating effectively to someone? And the real question is when they leave that conversation, how much did they really get out of it? (laughs) So I'm in sales and I get to thinking about this when I read this is how well am I effectively communicating what we do as a business or how can I help you? Why am, you know, how can I serve you? How do I, you know, I almost church it up too much sometimes and make it sound fancy when in reality, people just want to know why you're calling or, or what you, what you can do for them. And so this was a big chapter for me to just kind of think, okay, 
how how well am I communicating not only to potential clients and, and individuals, but just, you know, my family, my friends, you know, am I simple and concise and, and to the point or am I kind of dancing around the, uh, the MO? Yeah, I, I have this problem all the time where, you know, I'm in a more scientific math-based background and I, I kind of lose touch on who I'm talking to sometimes. And especially when I, I go out and help, help coach, like there's definitely times I see people look at me like, what are you saying? And it, it's a good reminder to like, just keep it simple, figure out what, what works for everyone instead of what's going to work for the smartest people in the room, because the, the smartest people in the room may help you, but if you're not, if you don't have everyone on, on board, then it just, the, the 90% of the other people that aren't on board with the, with the words or the situation are just going to end up dragging you behind. And you're not going to be as successful because not everyone understands the, the goal or objective and what you're trying to accomplish. So really quick, I have a question for both of you guys that I want to get your opinion on. It, Jeremy said something that kind of sparked this and I'm curious. Um, but then I, I, I do have a couple other things I, I want to get to. Um, do you guys think the, so the analogy, like the saying, like the smartest person in the room, do you think the smartest person in the room is someone who has the most knowledge or is the, is someone who can just, his, can communicate the best? I think about two years ago, if you would have asked this to me, I would have a, a, a completely different answer. About two years ago, I probably would have said the smartest person in the room is the, is like the, the one who will score best in any like intelligence test or um any sort of like test that like tests knowledge right um i'm leaning more towards the the smartest person in the room is is smart to a degree but also can communicate the best because then not only do they them or not only are they themselves smart they make other people around them just as smart yeah, so I'll I'll go off of Jeremy a little bit. So I think it's a two-folded answer. I think A, the smartest person in the room has to be able to let other people know what they're trying to accomplish as well. Cause I can have so many different ideas, but if I don't know how to implement those ideas, it's not going to go anywhere. So I would almost take more effective communication over someone that has overall intelligence. Now I'm not going to undermine that you need intelligence, but I think the ability to communicate is is far greater. Well, and so that's what I was thinking is when Jeremy was talking, I was, I was sitting here thinking and listening to him and I was like, it's one, it, it's great to be smart. Right. And obviously you don't want to undermine like the research and the knowledge that people have, because that is very critical to succeeding and ultimately like being a, being smart. Right. But are, can you really be the smartest person in the room? I guess with the understanding that there's multiple people in the room, whatever the room is or wherever that room is. Can you be the smartest person in the room if you can't communicate what you know effectively? And I think it's funny that we're talking about this because this is exactly what I'm trying to get a lot better at with my sales job, Nick, too, is being very concise in a lot of things, not just sales, not just analytics. I think across the board in a lot of our professions and as we're trying to, as everybody is trying to make it their own way or, or whatever. You want to present things in the best light, right? Ultimately, when you're, when you're trying to get a job, you're trying to present yourself in the best light. And a lot of times um, we think that words and trying to paint that picture is more so effective than being concise and saying or, or being able to communicate in a very simple but also effective way. And I think that's something that 
right now even, I am trying to get really, really good at. Can I expand my vocabulary so that I can say one word that encompasses 20 words so I don't have to ramble on about how great something is or about why I want to work here or why you should hire me? Could I just say, you know, one or two words that basically are concise, uh, they're, they're intelligent sounding, and they get the point across without having to go on a, a ramble or, or a, a bumbling rant. Right, too. And to add on to this, when you're speaking, you're not necessarily listening or giving yourself a chance to listen. So you want you want to speak about 20% of the time, but that 20% has an 80% weight to it. So it's like you're fully understanding what you need to communicate, but when you actually communicate, it doesn't need to be to a military grade like they do. They, they communicate extremely effective, but again, they're in the line of fire, so they need to do so. But how it kind of relates to is being able to lay out a process or, or a next step. So like Jeremy, you're a great example of this because you have so much in your mind that you know is going on and you know it, but the ability to help a, a, a high school kid to understand like all of these things, that's probably the hardest part of your job. Oh, absolutely, man. I like, there are like so many like millions of different things I want to say, but I also have to realize like the experiences of some of these these younger kids that I work with is is very limited compared to, for say, um, Robbie, who I can literally so Robbie like I work with Robbie right, and I can literally go out and tell him like, hey, this is what I want, um, can you get this? And he will literally go out in one bullpen and he he can figure it out. Like there is very little leg time between understanding what I say and, and implementing it, to compared to like someone in high school where I'll be like, this is what I want. But we're also going to have to experiment like eight different ways to figure out what clicks with you because most of the time, um, our experiences don't line up. Like, usually the younger you are, the less experienced you ha- you are, or yeah, the younger you are, the less experience you have. So, without those extra experiences, like Robbie has, we have to find ways to create new experiences that I can effectively communicate with them. Right. So, like. For example, today I went out and I helped with lessons and like, there's so many different things I could say that could help him, but I don't know what's going to stick because he's never experienced these things. So basically in, in a sense is the, the best communicators on what I've seen are the ones that can figure out those experiences and, and pick apart those experiences and create new experiences for the people that don't understand and those that's what really makes people successful. Yeah, and, and you bring up a good point on how everyone has a uniqueness to them on how they communicate as well. And I think that's part of the problem. I shouldn't say problem, but the complexity of communication is so many people come from so many different backgrounds and you don't know what level or maturity they're at. So when you're trying to parlay something to them, um, and that's the third time I've said parlay, and I'm just making a note to myself, so I have to change the the word I use next time. <laughs> but, Been betting uh, too much. Yeah, I know. Um, but that really is the the difficulty is not sure where the heck that that they are. Um, this occurred to me the other day. I was talking to a gal, and um, I was making things way too fancy, and all I needed to do to get the next step was ask, "Are you ready to move forward? Yes or no." And it was that simple. And I thought to myself, man, why don't I just communicate like this more often? Exactly. Why did I, why did I beat around the bush? Sometimes too, the most powerful messages are very simple ones, right? I think we've talked about that before. Whereas sometimes it's not this great explanation or this great understanding or this great like 
research finding or statistic, sometimes it, some, like some messages, some of the most powerful and moving things are very simple and straightforward and concise messages. Um, and simple, obviously going along with the theme of this chapter. I think a good way to put it is speak more, say less. Like we always see like in the high school superlatives, right? Talks the most, says the least. Say more, but also, you know, in, this, in the converse side, say less. Don't add all these random things that need, don't need to be said that take away from the point. Just, just get to your point, And then if someone doesn't understand it, then maybe, yeah, you move on, you know, move to different things in life. But I think the goal basically should be is to keep it as simple as possible for as many people as possible, right? And, and that way, more people will understand you and, and you, have to, you have to spend less time, you basically have to waste less time going individual to individual, figuring out what works best for them when you can, you can find a simple, concise message that the overarching blanket of people will understand. Yeah, and this, uh, this does go nicely with our next topic of conversation. And I think communication is so much easier said than done because it's not something that we have learned in school. We didn't take a class on you know how to communicate your feelings to people. Um, but uh, the next, the, we're jumping around a little bit, but I do want to bring this up because I feel like we're at the topic now, is decentralized command. So we're going to spin the conversation slightly, but this is all about a concept of being able to give leadership um, authority and opportunity to everyone throughout the company, through the branch, uh, and ultimately the military. And this is a big one for Jocko because Jocko is the guy that is the high eagle in the sky, so to speak. So he gets to see the the real strong strategic perspective. But the disadvantage of him doing that is he has no idea what's going on on the ground. He has no idea what the ground guys are experiencing, what they're facing. Um, and so he can't necessarily make good decisions when he doesn't even know what they're going through. And so they implemented this principle so they have to respect and understand the insight from their subordinate leaders while encouraging those subordinate leaders to take the lead in certain circumstances. And so the reason that they had put this in is if you're uh, you know, a, a junior leader or officer, and you need to make a very quick decision on how to save someone's life or who to take out. They don't want to have to have to run that all the way up the chain to Jocko for him to have to run it all the way back down to him, just because Jocko has, a, you know, a, a power of ego and authority. They implement the desire for those people to make those decisions. And I think, I really think if the business world implemented this more, things would run way more smoothly because when and if people know what they're trying to accomplish, and this goes back to our communication piece, Jeremy, or yeah, we can go there. Like, for example, if you're, if you were directly told by the CEO, Hey, this is what I want you to do today. And this is why that would probably help you out a ton because it's creating the vision of what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I think, uh, I think a good word to, to tie into this is trust, right? Like you gotta, you gotta instill trust in your, in your subordinate officers, your subordinates that they will make the the right decision right and like you you also have to to train them in what what do we usually do in this this situation which is i i see a lot in like in just every every facet of life not enough people a either have enough trust in what they're doing or b have an idea of what they're supposed to do and i think that comes from that's that's got to come from the top like hey this is in this situation we do this in this situation. We do this, and then, and then at some point, it, it falls on the the subordinate individual to to understand that 
all situations are, are fluid and you have to take the, the knowledge that you've learned to basically apply it to something that you've never experienced before in your training. And then tr- be able to trust that your, your overarching officers, the ones that are really high up, will be able to, to, to understand your decision, basically. So it's, it's a twofold thing, right? Yeah, and he encourages his junior subordinates to continue to take more extreme ownership. He wants them to advance up. That's the whole point is that he doesn't he isn't going to work in that position forever. So eventually someone's going to have to take his role. And that's the whole concept of the military that I really appreciate is knowing that you're training people to eventually take over your spot. And you want this because the more that they can control and implement, the less work that you actually have to do and the more time you can spend from a strategic perspective. So you want people to learn more. You want people to know where your mind's at. So then that way they're more effective and in turn, you're more effective. So when they brought this up and they were talking about it now, again, it makes sense because it's a military operation. So we want this. Um, so Nick, as far as decentralized command, before we move, before we move forward, there's one thing that I want to talk about that it kind of makes it. So Jeremy said twofold and I, I kind of want to make it a threefold because I think there's one, um, there's one more thing that makes this that makes decentralized command very attractive. And I think this could be a huge application to business too, is what decentralized command does is it also spreads the workload outward instead of upward, right? So instead of a guy like Jocko or maybe someone that's in the seat of a CEO um, or, or some sort of executive, instead of them having to worry about the boots on the ground, the subordinate leaders, like the branch leaders, all these different things, task unit leaders, um, they get to worry about the strategic, Jocko talks about, he gets to worry about the strategic mission overall as the eagle in the sky, kind of like you were saying, okay, who's moving where, where, where is the enemy at? Where do we need to go? How do we need to get there? What's the best route? All of that strategic things, because he has that level of experience, because he's been the boot on the ground before, he understands all these things. And so if he's not spending time and energy worrying about what's going on at lower levels, he has the trust within his junior leaders and subordinate leaders and these different branch leaders and task leaders and, and all of these things. He can trust them so much that he can say basically, hey, I, I trust you to take care of this. I know you'll do a good job. I've invested into you. And so I know you'll make the right decision. I know I know you know how to think through things, how to prioritize and execute. That's our next topic. Um, and I, I think that it, it's really nice for him because it saves time for him. And we talk about it a lot too. And it applies to business. I mean, if, you, if you're a CEO, you don't want to have to worry about hiring people, training people, what the sales team's doing, what the marketing team's doing, right? You want to you wanna be able to keep the vision of strategic, the strategic mission at the forefront of your brain. Where is this company going? How are we going to get there? What moves do we need to make? Do we need to hire more people? Do we need to maybe let people go, unfortunately? Uh, Do we need to change up our marketing plan? Do we need to do something as far as changing compensation for our sales team? Do we need to up incentives? Do we need to pay people more, pay people less? All of these things that fall into the category of strategic mindfulness, right? And when you can decentralize the command and take workload that can be delegated, especially to people that you as a leader trust and have put effort and time into bringing up, um, you see the, the thing, they do the right things. They do things the right way. They have put the time in and they have taken on the ownership of being a leader. It's easy to trust people then and delegate those things to save you time 
to make those those strategic uh, decisions that inevitably have to have to occur. Yeah, thank you for uh, for picking me up there, Cole, because this is much more of a of a powerful concept than what meets the eye, and you really start to think about that and balancing the workload. That's a really well well way to say it. Um, another thing on this topic, and and we will get to prioritize and execute. I kind of want to leave that for the end um, about the effectiveness is uh, being able to communicate why people are doing what they're doing, and we talked a little bit on that off air, and it's not that. There's a major disconnect. There, there might be in larger companies, but uh, when you tell someone why they're doing or what their responsibility is and why it's important, they can buy more into your company because they're now a part of the overall mission. And I think that was the really big thing that stood out to me is like, even if someone is a junior subordinate frontline guy, they know why and what they're doing. And so they can buy into their teamwork more. They can buy into cover move more. They can buy into some of these other things because they know what the overall accomplishment is. And I think that like with the premise of simple communication is, you know, what do you want from me, manager? What do you want from me, boss? Why am I supposed to be doing these things? Because like if my boss came to me and told me, hey, I need you to do X task for me because it will help you in return. Then I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to do it now. It's so simple. But I don't know if we ever get there in business truly, ever get to that extent of being told why. So that was another thing I did want to touch on. If you don't know what your why is like in your job, I would highly recommend asking. And if they don't know, you should certainly ask the, the higher ups too, because it is effective to know what you're overall trying to accomplish. I think too, with us being athletes and having that, that background, that's one thing that we've gotten very good at is asking why, right? So, and I, and I think, I think we, I think you'll see as, you know, as we grow into our careers and we kind of navigate how that's going to go, it's easy for us to ask why, because at a young age, us being coach and a coach says, oh, step this way, throw this way, swing like this, run this way. You ask why, and you can better understand how it's going to help you succeed. It aligns a coach's vision with you as the athlete's vision, right? And so now that we're getting into older life, and and obviously, you know, people that are older than us, they're like, they're screaming at us right now. They're listening to us. They're like, duh, we've been trying to tell you this this entire time. Like, listen to us, right? But it starts to become clear that it's like, okay, if I'm at work, and it comes across that there is kind of like the book talks about, and Nick, I think you're going to talk about, there's like a new incentive plan. Well, okay, why is it this way? I, just an email is not going to do it justice, right? I don't, I'm not comprehending everything from just one email or just this one change. I want to know the inner workings. I want to understand how is this going to benefit me? Is this going to change my day to day? Is this going to change the way I approach? Am I going to have to pitch things differently? All Am I going to have to communicate with my coworkers differently even maybe? Um, those are all things that maybe sometimes people, and, and uh, it's funny, Maddie actually talked about it in her interview. Sometimes people get kind of afraid from that because it's like we should almost fake it till we make it. Like fake and act like we kind of know what we're doing even if we don't. Um, but it's, it's important to understand that asking those, the question of why, just a simple why, to have, it, it shows that you want to gain a better understanding of the vision or the mission that you're trying to accomplish, that a company or an organization is trying to accomplish. Because when you do have that understanding of, and you can maybe even just get into the mind of your CEO, get into the mind of your boss a little bit and understand what they're thinking and what their vision is and how, like, how is this going to better the company or better 
our sales team or better or marketing team, all these things, it allows for a little bit of relaxation. It allows for you to take a, a step back, take a breath and be like, oh, okay, that light bulb moment happened. I get it now. This is why. Awesome. Let's go. Move forward and you apply, you implement it, right? Um, and so I think that's I think that's super critical about this 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 law of combat that we're covering. Yeah, I just I wanted to bring up something too. Like this is very like real world real world experience. Like throughout the past week, I've had uh I've had the the pleasure of working out with a guy who's going to be pitching in Major League Baseball in the next year or two, or maybe even the next six months. And one of the things he said that kind of stuck out for me is he always asks why, even if he he understands the he thinks he understands the premise behind it because you know it's you always want to have the best understanding possible of like what's going on and when you don't fully understand something or you fake it till you make it the chances of success are very slim like you can you can fake everything you want until you get onto that big stage and then you just you just shit your pants because you have no idea what you're actually supposed to do like it's it's just it happens like people fake their way all the way to major league baseball and then they get to that stage and they're like well i'm here what do i do now and they they don't really have a clear understanding of like what's going on or you know what they need to do to to be successful at a at the highest level possible and and they they burn out or they fail because they're there's just very little understanding of what their role is or what their um why they're there yeah it's a it's a it's a big it's a big thing that like people just really need to start implementing in their lives well, if you have full or a more clear understanding, I think we would agree with this just with the podcast, you can think more creatively. When you, when you know what your role is and you know what the operations to do the role is, now you can start thinking on how to do that better. And the thing, another thing I love about Jocko, maybe more than anything, is he, he always talks about checking your ego. And even though he is the highest, one of the highest superiors in Ramadi, he gets input from these frontline guys and he's not afraid to tell them to think creatively, to get projects done. They know what the mission is, allow them to do what they do best. And some of the best input is coming from people on the front lines. Some of the best people or best information is coming from the sales team that's making calls and or the HR team and or some of these other facets. It allows them to think creatively and implement ideas, which some of those ideas can come from anywhere and they'll end up being a phenomenal idea. And so he always, just to kind of go back to trust too. So he trusts his guys to do this. But when you, when you have that confidence in your guys, that does and creates a lot more freedom in the flow of things, which allows for some other cool things to take place. But um the last thing that we wanted to talk about here on this episode is more of an operating system of what I have really tried to implement and what they do really well too, and that is prioritize and execute. And so what this essentially means is at any given moment throughout a, a plan, a yearly plan, a monthly plan, a daily plan, things are going to come up that are going to try to pull you off of that plan. Unfortunately, all plans don't go as planned, um, but being able to have something that you're going for allows you to be able to handle some adversity as these things come up. But the whole concept of prioritizing community or execute is taking the most efficient and most important tasks that you need to do and executing that to the best of your ability. So for those people out there that can handle multiple projects at one time, I would suggest picking of those projects what is most important and highly focusing all of your energy on that one very specific thing until it is accomplished because it has been proven that we cannot handle multiple projects to a certain extent. So this effectiveness and how you operate really does create some freedom for you to be able to get it done. 
and I'm just throwing this out here because I know this has really helped me is like, okay, what's the most important thing on my day, whether I like it or not, I must do these things. Then you simply line them up and do them. Now that sounds simple, but from someone that isn't much of a planner or hasn't been, this is really cool for me. It really is. So it allows me again to execute the plan, but also to think creatively, how can I get this done? How can I get my, all my workload in for the day? So this was a, a fun chapter for me to read for sure. And realistically, lining up your your objectives for the day, if you have 10 objectives, more than likely, you're only going to get to 20, 20 to 30% of them daily. You're, it's, just, it's just hard in a, in a day where, where things are, new things are thrown at you daily that you need to, you need to do a, uh, ASAP. You need to figure out like your, your top 10 and then take, figure out your top three. And those, those three are one, two, three in priority, right? And then anything else after those three prior, those three super prioritized items can be done at a different day. And, and if not, then you're, you're kind of in, you're kind of in hot water. You find yourself a little bit over your head where, you know, four five, six things that need to get done that day, you may need to start delegating things out. Right. But you need to, you really realistically need to figure out the top three things that need to get done that day and then plan around that. Because at the end of the day, like life is life and, and things get thrown at you every, every 15, 20, 30 hour, hour increments. And it, it, you, you kind of just have to adjust on the fly, but those, you got to figure out those three, those three things that, that really need to be done and, and be done today. Okay. So I'm a huge list person, right? I, every week, basically starting on like Monday morning, I will put out a list of things that I absolutely need to get done throughout the week. Right. And so it's like, I need to go grocery shopping. I need to do laundry. Maybe I need to, I, I got to get in the gym at least four days a week. All of these things that are very, very important that I need to prioritize and make a priority throughout my week. It's huge to make a list for me. And I'm, I like to think like I'm a taskmaster. If I can have a list, I can just start knocking things out, right? Just cross them off the list one, one by one by one where you can jump to an elite level. And that's what this book is talking about with prioritize and execute is the idea that on the fly, right? So when things start hitting the fan and it's like, you don't have a whole lot of time to react. Do you have the ability to step outside yourself, step, step away from your emotion and figure out what needs to be done? What's, what's most urgent? What do I need to do right away to ultimately get to success or to get to safety in the case of a, a Navy SEAL, right? Or get the, get the most money make them make the best marketing campaign, all these different things. What, what's priority number one, then what's priority number two, priority number three. If you can do that mentally on the fly, when in this case, bullets are flying, maybe literally as a Navy SEAL or figuratively during the course of a normal business day, that's when it's like elite level prioritize and execute. Yeah. And we're, t- we're talking about operational procedures here. So how you go about your work. So if you're someone that maybe feels that you're disorganized or you feel that you're, you're never in control of what happens, we would implement some of these things to try to help with that. So first create maybe a, a high level plan of what you want to accomplish and you, you get to really pull it out and think, okay, on Monday or maybe even the whole week, what do I have this week? of the things that I have, what's most important to to me personally, but also to the business that I'm in. And so being able to categorize that, lock them in, do prioritize and execute will help you become not only more efficient, but more effective as well. So that's what we're talking about just to to provide a little bit of a 
kind of a high-level context as to why it's in the military extremely important. Um, in the book, it talks about how uh, they're on a mission and someone falls through an unexpected place and they're in like a roof of some context and they got to save this guy's life, right? And so their whole plan was just to get out of there safely. Well, now shit has hit the fan. How are we going to save this guy's life without just losing all of our you know, our whole context of what's going on. And uh, this is an extreme, mind you, but Jocko has to fall on this principle of, okay, A, what's most important? Do that. B, how do we get him out? C, accomplish this. And as like robotic as it seems, it's super effective. And I think if the United States military is using that principle, I think we could probably implement something of that nature as well too. Right. Well, it does seem robotic, right? I think that's a perfect word for what it, for what it, what it feels like. It can feel robotic to people. And I think that I think people can kind of feel trapped by that, but ultimately like this is a formula for success. So what the idea is may seem robotic, but make it your own too. How can you prioritize and execute? How can you make that your own? How can you, how does that best fit what you do really well? Right. You know, we talk about how with like fitness, it's like, find what, find what you like and find what you feel best doing with prioritize and execute, do whatever you have to do necessary to prioritize what needs to get done from most, most urgent to least urgent and do whatever you need to do to get done. Whether it's you operate a certain way, you get up at a certain time of the day, you go to bed at a certain time, all of these different things, you eat at different times of the day, whatever it is in order to get priority number one through priority number, whatever the last priority is done do do what you have to do. And there is no cookie cutter formula for that, but this is the bare bones formula for success when talking about that operating procedure, Nick. Yeah, and I just I just want to talk about, you know, it's it it can sound robotic, right? But every situation is different and and we can like we can give you the the formula, right? But you're always going to have to find different ways to apply it where one day it may be just a super simple fix and in the next day you may be faced with the same problem, but the same fix doesn't work because the the person on the receiving end is a completely different individual than the um the person on the receiving end the day prior. So it's it's always going to be something different where it it may sound robotic, but it's it's a fluid situation that you have to take this this robotic sounding formula and and apply it uh basically flex it and, and make it flexible and make it your own to uh be able to fit different situations. Well, and Jeremy, you uh you provide a nice little cliffhanger for next week as we get into Jocko's main theme, which is discipline equals freedom and what that all entails and how doing some of these things actually is counterintuitive on how you're creating more freedom in your life. But Without further ado, I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode, and until next time, State Street Gang.